This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to Bear Archery's Hunting 101 podcast, where hunters new and old come to learn and find inspiration from stories of hunts gone by. Everyone is welcome to enjoy the outdoor way of life, and there is no better time to start So let's head into the great outdoors with your host, Dylan Ray. All right, guys, thank you for joining us today on Bear Archery's Hunting 101 podcast, as always, presented by our good friends over at Scentlock. Scentlock is absolutely phenomenal. Um, What sets them apart and drives them ahead of everybody else, in my opinion, is the carbon technology for maximum odor absorption. Uh, But not only that, they have an entire line of clothing that can get you all the way from early season into those single-digit long sits in late season. So, guys, go check out our friends over at Scentlock. They just got the new Divergent series back in stock, and it is hands down the best series you could ever have for late season in a tree stand. So go check out Scentlock. Definitely go check out the Divergent series because it is absolutely phenomenal we've got a special guest on the phone with me today mr zach jones zach how are you man good how are you doing today man absolutely tired (laughs) it's that time of the year uh for a for a for a midwestern bow hunter um where you just get tired you know um (laughs) you're tired of waking up early and going to bed late but the excitement of the rut hasn't really kicked in to you know spark that next juice of of excitement and energy uh so i'm just tired (laughs) no i i understand the feeling you know out here we've been hunting since august and scouting before then and and uh every year you get to that point and you're tired and you're like man i just got to keep pushing because here in about a month i'm going to be wishing i was hunting instead of thinking i'm tired yeah no that's absolutely right And, and really you know, once you get to that first week in November, you really catch that like second wind of okay, it's go time. You know, um, but that last week of of October is just hard, man. It's just October is a hard month to hunt, and we covered the uh, the miscues or the misleadings of the lull in the last episode. Uh, but but no matter what, October is just a hard month to hunt. And then you get to November and all the batteries are recharged and it's like, okay, it's time for the rut. Now, however, I was out this morning and I did see two bucks chasing, two younger bucks, uh, but two bucks chasing. So that's good. 
Um, pretty fired up about that. Now, we did get ahead of ourselves. Zach, you are the vice president of Alaska Guide Creations. Um, tell me about how you got there, man. Give me a quick introduction to yourself. Uh, so long story short, I guess, I you know, I started running Alaska Guide Creations vinyl packs years and years ago and got to be friends with Jarrett, you know, through that process and, you know, just maintain that friendship. And over time, you know, I would talk to him here and there. And next thing you know, he's like, man, I'm just struggling. You know, my parents are getting older and he's taking care of them and, and the business is growing, but I'm not really at a point where, or have the experience where I know how to take it to the next level. And so we just started talking and it was like, Hey, what if, what if we help you? You know, I, I ran another business here and then I had a business partner. I was like, man, we need to go talk to Jarrett. Like, I know the product's great. I know that side of it's a lot of the times is the hardest side of any business is getting the product right. You know, doing the business side, like just treating customers right, making sure you manage everything correctly. You know, that it's work and it's hard, but it's it's not all encompassing as far as like if you do that, but you have a bad product, it, it doesn't really do the deal. Um, so long story short, we started working with Jarrett that way and it, it just, you know, everything started flourishing and growing and, and next thing you know, here I am. It just kind of rolled into that. Here I am. That's how all good stories end. <laughs> next thing you know, here I am. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's been crazy though, but it's good. And it's, you know, I'm really happy for Jared, especially, you know, he, he had this idea to have a vinyl pack back in 1971 when he was guiding in Alaska and, you know, clients started seeing it on his chest saying, Hey, how do I get one? And that's, that's what, you know, basically is the invention of the binocular pack that everyone runs today. Uh, he just had that foresight way back then. And, you know, to see him be able to enjoy the fruits of his labor, you know, even after 50 years, you know, we just celebrated the 50th year of, of Jarrett creating the vinyl pack. And uh, it's just really more than anything, yeah, I'm glad to be here and I enjoy what I do, but I'm really proud and happy that Jarrett gets to to see what what he's created really come into its own and and grow into what what it should have been. Yeah, I uh, it's it's always exciting, man, to see a, a business not only any business it's exciting to see any business make it 50 years, but it's it's especially exciting to see a small business, single owned, dreamed up by a single man to see a business like that succeed and last and, and stand the test of time, man, it's, it's special to see. That's for sure. Yeah. And if, if any of your listeners out there have ever called Jarrett, you know, his cell phone's right on our website and he's happy to take your call. And he has the best stories out there and, and he's just one of the salt of the earth type of guys. Like he's the nicest guy you'll ever meet and he's happy to help anybody. And so to see a guy like that enjoy success is, you know, all, all that much sweeter. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I stumbled upon Alaska guide creations. Um, I don't know. It was probably, Oh, it was probably seven years ago. Stumbled upon Alaska guide creations on accident in a sportsman's warehouse. And I was just like, man, this looks solid. Like this looks very well built. And, uh, you know, I really didn't, it was one of those deals where I, I didn't like look into vino harnesses. Like I didn't look into what's best, why, um, didn't look into what all you carry in a bino harness. It was just like, I stumbled upon it. I'm like, man, this looks useful. 
And, uh, you know, I thought to myself, like, for a tree stand hunter, this would eliminate a lot of need for a backpack, um, you know, carrying a bag into a tree stand, which then just becomes cumbersome because you got to hang it up and work around it while you're in your tree stand and so on and so forth. And so I bought a bino harness. I had no idea what kind I was buying or why. Just bought it. Um, so, and then I, I really started looking into it, and then I figured out this is kind of the the gold standard of bino harnesses that I got here. And I had no idea it was, but but that's how I stumbled upon Alaska Guy Creations. Loved them ever since, used them ever since. Yeah, for sure. And that's I think that's what sets Alaska Guy Creations apart from other bino packs. Is it's not just a bino pack. Like the name almost doesn't do it justice. It's a, it's a piece of your kit that you can put all the, the things you really need quickly right at your fingertips, and everyone can customize that layout however they want. And it, it fits a a wide array of you know hunting situation and needs and we've seen in the especially in the last four or five years we've seen huge growth in the eastern market you know originally ever we talked to guys and they're like oh well i don't really use big binos i don't i don't have to see more than 80 yards most of the time and and i don't want to pack but as they started to see oh well it holds my wind checker it holds my snacks or it holds you know anything that they want right there that they don't have to have a backpack that they dig for it that you know my knife's right here my headlamp's right here and i don't have to be messing around in a backpack and i can take that stuff out if i don't need it or modify that on the fly and that that's been the big step for us anyway is you know more teaching hunters this is this is how we use it but you know that's just because it works for me that way. It may not work for Dylan that way. Maybe Dylan runs his completely different, and and it makes sense because he hunts in a different way than than I do when I'm, you know, hunting mule deer in the west or elk in the west, versus, you know, a midwestern whitetail and and you're in thick timber. Yeah, I I can tell you that I completely change. Um, obviously, I live in the Midwest, and so eighty percent of my hunting is is kansas oklahoma missouri arkansas um and i can tell you this when i head out west everything in my bino in my bino harness changes everything in it does except for the binos um and the rangefinder but everything else changes on that in my harness what's in there uh what's clipped to the sides what's on the straps it all changes uh which i'm excited to hear I'm excited to hear kind of how you use your system and what all goes in your bino harness as somebody who's who's more uh, prolific out west, um, and somebody who does more of their hunting out west. What have you learned um, goes is best for your bino harness out west? Yeah, so for I mean, besides the obvious, like you said, the binos that are in the main compartment, I like to run the Cub Max. I have my binos in the in the main compartment, rangefinder in the front. On the left hand side, I have my elk reeds uh, in their little packet, so I have all three of my elk reeds, and on my right hand side. I have my wind checker so I can check it almost constantly, you know, while my bow is still in my left hand. And then in the max pocket, which is any max pocket you hear us refer to is just the basement pocket of any of the packs. In the max pocket, I always have a folding outdoor edge knife and a couple of replacement blades, my headlamp and a fire starter. And that to me is for me, that works best. I uh, In the back, I guess, in the flat pocket, I have SD cards and an SD card reader when I do check trail cameras and anything else that you just stuff in there, like, you know, a couple Werther's caramels that are my like go-to snack that I can just get too easy. But 
besides that, um, I have everything that I need. Like if I dump my pack on a stock and it ends up being longer than I, I expect, which is almost always how it works. If a rainstorm comes in, I need to start a fire. I can, if it gets dark on me, I need to find my way back to my backpack in the dark. I can, um, really my, my essentials are in there. And then, you know, your, your bigger stuff, like your medical kit and all that can go in your backpack, your kill kit. When, when you do get something down and you're going to have to quarter it up and pack it out, you're going to need your backpack anyway, but everything I really need right away, no matter what is right there. And I never have to think, Oh, do I have my headlamp if I'm going, you know, on a stock and it's going to run into dusk. You know, that I, I'm excited now um, because I've always talked about what's in my bino harness for out west, and I never knew if it made sense. Um, but now you validated it, and and now I feel good about myself. I always tell people when I head out west, what's in my bino harness is enough for to survive. If I drop my pack or if I, you know, whatever, what's in my bino harness I can survive off of a fire starter, a flashlight, a knife, um, you know. Uh, if you're in bear country, bear spray on the side, maybe. Um, but, but whatever I need to survive is in my bino harness. And that's how I look at my bino harness. Sure. I want my binoculars and my rangefinder and my wind checker close by, but then everything else is what do I need to survive? So I've got my Garmin in reach clip to the strap. I've got fire starter. I've, you know what I mean? Um, if I find myself in a predicament, I know with just what's on my chest, I can survive. Yeah, absolutely. And and really, we never, no one goes in to any situation thinking, oh, I'm going to end up in a bad spot. But that bad spot would be a heck of a lot worse if if you don't have those things. It might not be the most comfortable couple hours or the most comfortable night. But if you have those things, you're you're probably going to be able to figure it out and at least, at least get your way back. I'll tell you what I do as well. And uh, this, this goes for whitetails. This goes for, you know, western hunts this goes for whatever i'm doing my pack will change you know if i'm sitting in a tree stand i've got a, obviously a different pack than if i'm running you know like my big initial ascent for out west or something my pack will change uh but my bino harness doesn't so i keep all of my licenses in that back pocket against your your your, your chest whatever that pocket is called uh that very that very back pocket i keep all of my licenses there that way i know you know, if I show up in Oklahoma to hunt, I know I've got my licenses because I've got my bino harness. I know if I head out west, I've got my tags because I've got my bino harness. Whatever it is, I know my licenses are right there because they're on my chest. Oh, yeah, for sure. And and when do you ever go hunting without your binos? Like, you're going to have it every single time you go and not have to be worried about it. You know, did I Absolutely. leave it in the wallet? Did I leave it on the counter? Did my yeah. wife move it? Any of those things. Yeah, did my kid chew it up, you know? no i uh man i'll tell you my my world changed and and, you know i i know this is late on the gun i'm not going to change anybody's mind at this point in the game i don't think but if you're listening my life changed carrying binos into the deer woods and and because i was one of those guys i'm like i don't need binoculars you know i grew up in arkansas um hunting in the ozarks where you know your visibility is is limited very limited uh, you're, you're 40 to 80 yards is all you're going to see. And so I was one of those guys that grew up with the idea. I don't need binoculars in the deer woods. Binoculars are for out West locating animals or, 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 you know, in your pickup, when you're driving by a field, you can pull them out and look. 
That was my idea of binoculars. But binoculars have changed the way that I hunt, uh, even whitetails. This morning, for instance, um, perfect example. This morning, I, I saw a deer about 400 yards, 500 yards away. And I pull up my binos and I look, and I'm like, oh, that's a nice buck. And uh, I hadn't, he wasn't going to come anywhere near me. Um, he was 500 yards away and he was working a, a scrape line. And I was like, oh, that's a nice buck. And so I was hunting with a buddy, and when we walked out, I'm like, hey, dude, listen, I saw a nice buck over here, uh, so let's walk this field edge really quiet. We had a strong wind. Uh, we're talking 30-mile-an-hour wind this morning. So I'm like, we can walk this field edge, and if he's bedded just inside that, we can get up there and, and get a shot because it's such a heavy wind in our favor. And uh, we didn't. like, we, did, we never saw him again, but had I not had those binoculars – that situation would have never played out the way it did. You know, I would have just said, oh, yeah, I saw a deer way out there, you know, uh, but he was too far away. But with binoculars, I could pull him up and say, oh, that's a nice bug, dude. That's the 14 you've been telling me about. And, and you know, we had a chance to, to make a move on him if the opportunity presented him itself. And so binoculars have really changed the way I even whitetail hunt. And so I would encourage you, if you're one of those guys that's fallen into the idea of I don't need binoculars in the whitetail woods, it can absolutely be life-changing. It really can. But not only that, I mean, it's a great way to pass time. I look through binoculars at everything, birds and squirrels. It's crazy how big a squirrel looks when you look through your 44s. But no, it's just, it, it, it's a time-passing, fun, but, but also you can see deer that used to, you go home and say, oh, I saw a deer way off. And now you know exactly what you saw. Oh, yeah. And, and my, I'm probably a little more... I'm an oddball, like my background's engineering, but anytime we can gather more information, we're going to be better. Like we can learn from it. And that's all your optics really do for you. You gather information. You saw that deer. If you never had your binos, you, you certainly can hunt without them. There's no doubt. But if you could hunt with them and gather more information, you know, potentially you're going to know next year, maybe I should put a stand up on that scrape line. And the more you do that, you're just going to, tip the odds a little bit more in your favor. Like we're never going to have the true advantage, but the more I know, the better off I am out there a better chance I'm going to have having success, whether it's, you know, white tails or out West with muleys or anything you want to hunt in between. Yeah. Um, speaking of optics, let me give a quick shout out to my friends over at Koa optics. I have become really good friends with the guys over at Koa. Um, got to spend a lot of time with them at Pope and young show this year. They're just great guys. And I absolutely love their optics. And it's one of those things, like I told you, Zach, my life changed on optics when I started hunting out West. And, you know, I was the kind of guy, if I used binoculars, it was the cheap hand-me-downs that my dad had, um, or the Walmart specials that my grandpa gave me, whatever. Um, and the first out West hunt, I was hunting with the guys from SNS archery and I reached out and I'm like, Hey, I need to know what, I don't have any kind of spotting scopes. I don't have good binoculars. What do I need to get? And they quickly spouted out Koa, and I'm like, never heard of them, but okay, uh, you carry them all, so you know what's the best. And so I started off with Koa Optics, and I've fallen in love. Since then, I've got to do a lot of testing, uh, putting their spotting scopes up against everybody else, and their spotting scopes perform flawlessly. Best glass I've ever used. Um, and the same is true for their binoculars, which they have some stuff coming down the pipeline that I'm really excited about. So guys, go check out Koa Optics because it is some incredible japanese made glass um so for the whitetail woods i i look at my binocular harness completely different 
Um, I've got my binos. I've got my rangefinder. I've got my cell phone in the top, um, like the little slide on the top, so I keep my cell phone in the woods. Um, I've got chapstick because I don't hunt without it. I've got a extra little light just in case I need it uh, in the side pocket to get in and out of my tree stand. It's a little green light. Uh, I think it actually came on a backpack years ago, uh, and I ended up cutting it off that backpack, and now I just keep it in my bino harness. That way, if I need an extra light at any time, I've got it right there. Um, I keep some face paint just in case I get out and wherever I set up, sun's right in my face or something, um, I can throw some black face paint on. And uh, and that's about it for the whitetail woods. Um, I keep it pretty simple, but I keep everything. Oh, wind checker, of course. Uh, but I keep everything I need right there. License are still in the back, of course. But everything I need right at my fingertips is right there. And I don't have to get my in my bag near as much. Now, come the rut, what I'll do is I've kind of fabricated a little clip on the back of my grunt call. And I'll put it right on the shoulder strap. Um, uh, I'll clip it on the shoulder strap and I can literally just move my mouth over and grunt. I don't have to hold my call. I don't have to take it out. I don't have to, I've got hands free. It's clipped to my shoulder strap. I move my mouth over and I grunt and it's perfect. It's, you can literally almost at full draw. You can grunt. <laughs> it's awesome. So guys try that out. Um, that's just a little tip, but, but I figured that out a couple years back. I'm like, I think I can clip this. And it started off with like a sandwich clip. Um, and I've since, kind of made it a little fancier, but um, I just clip it right on, on the shoulder. And all I got to do is turn my head and it's right on my mouth and I can grunt. Um, so it's really cool. So try that out if you haven't. Um, now, Zach, have you ever hunted whitetails? With a rifle in Idaho once, and I've tree stand hunted some coos whitetails in, in southern Arizona once. Um, so that's probably the closest thing is the, the coos hunt down south i sat a stand five straight days dawn to dusk not sure if that's even the right way to do it but on the fifth day i finally had an opportunity to good buck and and got him killed you know i find it so interesting obviously whitetails is the most hunted species in america and i find it is interesting that's all i knew growing up you know all these uh everybody i knew was like oh, i want to go on an elk hunt oh, i want to go on a mule deer hunt oh, i want to go on an antelope hunt and now I get to talk to guys, and they're like, oh, dude, I cannot wait to go on a whitetail hunt. I, I've always wanted to go. And I'm like, what? You've never been on a whitetail hunt? You know, and I'm like, what do you mean? And like, well, we don't have them, you know? Um, but we don't have any whitetail. i got a really good friend of mine uh, lives in, in Oregon. And he's like, you know, I've just, I've killed every, I've, you know, I've killed blacktail. I've killed elk. I've killed antelope. I've killed mule deer. I've killed, uh, but I've never hunted a whitetail. And I'm like, what? That's mind-blowing. It's a complete, you, you've got to do it. It's a complete different hunt. If you've never done it, it's, it's completely different. Oh yeah. We, we were just talking about it in the shop the other day. And I mean, we were all exactly like your buddy, you know, all raised out West, you know, they're just not around, you know, you get a deer tag. It's it, you just call it a deer tag, but it's, it's a mule deer tag. It, you, we just don't have them. And you know, it's, it's kind of, I'm sure it's real similar, you know, a guy in the West trying to figure out how to go and manage the system to get, get a tag and do it the right way in the East. It's like night and day. It's a whole new world. And I'm sure an Eastern guy coming out West for the first time feels the same way. Um, you know, you pull up 
pull up maps and land ownerships. And you're like, man, there is no public land out there. Not, not a lot of public land anyway. And then thinking, oh, I'm going to have to get out there and set up a tree stand somewhere, figure out where even a good spot to set a stand is. And it's almost overwhelming. You're like, ah, maybe I should just stick to the West. I'll, I'll do a little better that way. But, but oh, we would, we would love to. And I think, you know, everyone argues, you know, what's, what's better, what's smarter, what's harder. And, and I think every animal has their own styles that you hunt them. And it, it, it's tough that way to, to say what's harder or easier. I think to kill a mature animal of any species is, is difficult, and especially with a bow in your hand. Yeah, it is. And that's, that's what it, it's crazy to me, man, because, you know, my first out West trip was, was overwhelming. Um, not only the hunt, but the gear. I'm like, I got to buy a tent. I got to buy a, a, a sleeping bag. I got to buy trekking poles. I got to, I got to up my boot game. Um, I got to do all these different things and it was overwhelming. And then you get on the hunt and you're like, well, crap, the tent I bought sucks. The, the, the sleeping bag I bought sucks. Um, I'll tell you what I learned the quickest. And, and if you're going to go out West for your first time, you can skip on a lot of things. You can have a mediocre backpack. You can get by with a, a, a crappy tent, but do not neglect your feet. Do not neglect your feet. I uh, the first hunt I went on, I was using some, and I'm not going to name brand, uh, although it's a huge brand and everybody would know it. I, I ran to Cabela's. I grabbed the cheapest on sale pair of boots I could, um, and I ran to the West. Now again, I bought a big name brand, so I thought they've got to be good, and. I really didn't know how much of a problem hot spots and blisters were until I experienced good boots. Like, I just thought this is hunting out West. Like this sucks. I just thought this is what it's like. Well, I got back home and I stumbled upon schnays and I was like, I got to try these and, uh, leaps and bounds better in every aspect of life. And, uh, again, it was like, I had no idea how, how, how used to I was uh, of blisters and hot spots. Um, so no matter what, you can skip a lot of things. You can you can go without trekking poles, but get a good pair of boots if you're headed out west. Oh, I agree completely. Like if your feet are miserable, you're miserable. If your feet are comfortable, you're going to stay longer. And if you can stay longer, you have a better chance of running into one. Absolutely. And and so I learned pretty quickly. Um, if you're looking to go out west next year, um, and, and this is your first go round, I'll tell you my experience. My my experience was first upgrade your boots, second upgrade your pack, um, because my back hurt, my shoulders hurt, <laughs> my hips hurt, and uh, and then I upgraded my pack and my boots, and life changing, really life changing. Oh yeah, and and again, it comes back to comfort, like. If you're if you're in pain or you're miserable and you don't have stuff that fits right and you're not comfortable or like your sleeping bag, you're not comfortable, you don't sleep, then you're not comfortable at all the next day. And you're just not one, you're not going to be as effective and you're not going to want to stay as long. And it just changes the whole the whole trip, you know, the mood of the trip, how you're feeling and the, the entire experience kind of hinges on if you're comfortable. And I, and I don't mean you need to be like comfortable like cozied up next to a fireplace comfortable but not miserable like part of it is embracing the you know this is this is tough you know it hurts to go up this mountain every single day but if you're not in complete misery you're gonna be able to push through it and get through that physically and mentally a lot better 
Yeah, and like one thing I noticed, and this might sound cheesy, but one thing I noticed is after I haven't been, after my feet haven't been hurting all day, after my back isn't sore and my shoulders feel like I've been doing a shoulder shrug all day, uh, after after a good day of hunting, you get a lot better sleep, which makes your next day of hunting better. Uh, but but when you have to suck down Tylenol PM just to go to bed, you're not going to have a great day hunting the next day. No, no, for sure. Um, you know, there, there's so much that goes into it. It's like anything. It's it, There's a thousand more variables than you think of on the surface. But being well-rested, it doesn't matter if you're going to take a test or if you're, you know, showing up to work or you're going to go work out playing a big game any of those things if you're well rested and you're not in pain you're going to do a heck of a lot better than if you are yeah yeah um now what would you say what would you say your favorite your favorite game to chase is out west uh mule deer's my thing there's just something about a mule deer and the country they live in and how they can be sneaky smart on you uh I, I, I really just, feel like you just you just made the title to a song. There's just something about mule deer. We need to write that song. Well, I'm obsessed with them, so that's probably why. <laughs> what 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 was the first draw to them? I mean, what what drew you to them? I just love how, and I mean, it, as I've hunted more and more stuff, like you you get the same draws in other animals, but they're every mule deer to me is so unique. You know, a, it's not just a four points, a four points, a four point. You know, every, you know, they just, they have all these different characteristics. And then some of the country they live in, you know, from, you know, 12,000 foot peaks to deserty country that you wouldn't think anything would live in. And they're in all of it, you know, ag fields to nasty rock, cliffy canyons above tree line. It just, they're in everything and somehow they can thrive in it. Well, I'll tell you what, you take me on a mule deer hunt. I'll take you on a whitetail hunt. How about that? I'm in. I, uh, we, you know, we have mule deer here in Kansas, um, but they're so far west of me that it's, I mean, it's, it's like you're traveling for a hunt, you know, it's not like I can just go out and hunt them. And, uh, I mean, you know, that's something you'd have to take a a week off and, and go. And so I struggle with that because I'm like, if I'm going to take a week off and go hunting, I want to go to, you know, Idaho or, or, or Colorado or, you know, somewhere mountainous. I don't want to go and and chase mule deer in, in the Flint Hills. No, for sure. And, and I guess that that's part of it too. You know, just like you were able to go hunt whitetails this morning and then still come back and get to work. You know, we can do the same thing with, with the mule deer and elk here. Um, and, and honestly, part of it too, is like, I can go solo hunt a mule deer just about anywhere. And it's going to be brutal getting them out potentially, depending on where you get one killed, but you can just do it alone. And, you know, yeah. you can do an elk alone too. Like we've done it, but it, you get, I don't know if you've ever been on a dead elk. They are gigantic. Like they're physically just massive animals. And, and, uh, and the other thing like mule deer, like they don't make noise. Like you can't call them. You can't, I mean, there's calls and every now, like if they're rutting real hard, but we, we really don't get to hunt them in the rut. You know, all our management styles, like very, very few tags go to, go for mule deer during their rut so for us it's you know you're hunting them when the game is really skewed in their favor like right now mid-october it is not the best time to hunt mule deer late i mean it's getting to be late october a couple young deer are starting to sniff around a little but 
those big bucks, you know, until it's really go time, they, they lay low. They don't move a lot. They don't need water. You know, they're getting moisture off, off the feed and they, I mean, they're just elusive. Like you hear, you hear stories about these bucks that just show up and get killed in, in places that people hunt hard. And then all of a sudden on the winter range, like the guy that gets the one tag kills this just slob of a buck that no one even knew existed. And like, it, it just, that it's almost like your imagination gets the best of you and you just know every time you go out like there's a chance this deer is just going to show up that i've never that i didn't even know existed you know i i got to do an interview if i get his name wrong i'm sorry um and if you listen to this and and i get your name wrong i'm sorry uh but i got to do an interview with justin gordon um who is the new i think it's velvet non-typical mule deer um record holder just an absolute giant. I mean, a stud. And he said that. He's like, we went on a hunt, and we see a deer that we had never seen before. <laughs> it ended up being a new world record. And, you know, in the whitetail woods come the rut, we'll see deer that we've never seen before. I mean, you'll get deer from neighboring properties, but not like out west. Not like, um, I guess what I'm trying to say is it doesn't happen as often as it does out west. Um and that just, that story, like it, it blew my mind because, you know, us whitetail hunters, we'll hunt the same deer for five years, four years and play this chess match of a game of moving stands and, and setting up new blinds and, and running 10 trail cameras to nail down where he's at. And, and, and then you're out West and, and Justin was like, this deer popped up, man. And we shot it. And I'm like, God, it's crazy to think, man. Oh yeah. And a deer like that, like a world record deer and no one else is chasing it. No one else, you know, even with all the outfitters and guides that exist in the world, there's no one that was camping on that deer trying to get him killed. Like that deer has won the game so many times. And I guess that's the the best part about hunting is you can get flat stomped by that deer or any deer for years and years on end. You just have to win once. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're absolutely right, man. And I'm trying to look back and see, um, I'm trying to make sure that I know um, because a couple people said biggest mule deer ever um, holds the record for any mule deer. But but I believe Pope and Young recognized it as um, velvet non-typical record. Uh, just a freak deer. Uh, I'm sure you've seen it, but yeah, I'm just pretty, I think it's the I think it, you know, if you look at velvet and non-velvet categories, I think it's it's right there if it's not the top i know a big buck came out of saskatchewan at the biannual convention a couple years ago um but i want to say that deer was like over well over three i'm trying to see as quick as i can um now i will say this though uh 348 and five eights that's the gordon buck yep yeah, that's well over three. Just, just a tank, man. An absolute stud. Um, speaking of hunting out west, speaking of getting animals and packing animals out, I stumbled upon, <clears throat> and you're probably more familiar with them than I am, at Mountain Archery Fest this last year, I stumbled upon um, Baku e-bikes. And, man, I was trying to work. My boss was trying to get me to work, and I was just at the tent riding Baku bikes. Um I met some really good friends uh, who who are a dealer for Baku, Universal Outdoor Products. 
Guys, I promise you this. They will get you the best deal on an e-bike that you could dream of. Go to universaloutdoorproducts.com. They carry Baku. They carry 6AM. They carry WiseEye. A lot of fantastic products, and I can promise you my friend Thomas over there will hook you up on a deal on a Baku that you cannot beat. Um, and and I've got to hear a whole lot of stories of Baku in the West and, and how you know you can pull your bikes in and get them on a trailer and get them out, and I'm like, that's phenomenal. But I found great use for them in the Whitetail Woods. Um, you know, some places in Kansas this morning, I had to walk about a mile and a half. And uh, and some places a little bit further, some places um, are just rough to get to in Kansas. And, and being able to ride a bike in, lay it down by your tree stand, climb up and shoot a buck, um, it's awesome. So go check out uh, Universal Outdoor Products um, because they'll get you a stellar deal on a Baku bike. Speaking of Mountain Archery Fest, do you know uh, Brandon Waldell over there at Mountain Archery Fest? Uh, I don't think I do. I, I may have met him, but I, you know, potentially at the Western Hunting Expo, but I don't know him personally real well. You need to because he's a phenomenal guy and he's a huge supporter of Alaskan Guy Creations. Perfect. Well, it he sounds like I need to move everywhere. It's funny because, uh, you know, they have all their walkie talkies and everything to, to call up on the hill. And it seems like he's got like four walkie talkies strapped to his bino harness all the time. <laughs> Waddell, W A D D E L L. Yep. Gotcha. I, I'm terrible with names. So if, if Brandon, if we've met and I'm just not placing you right now, I'm sorry. But, but you I heard it here first. Brandon, Zach does not, you're not valuable in Zach's eyes. Oh, come on now. <laughs> no, he's a he's a good friend of mine. I can say whatever I want to about him. I'm I'm actually as we're I do have emails from him. So that shows you how bad I am at names. <laughs> so there there you go, Brandon. I'm I apologize. I'm gonna have to make it up to you. I have to get you one of the new Ravis packs. Uh oh. Walk me through that, man. Sales pitch me. Thirty second elevator pitch, because that pack looks sweet. Uh the best part about it is it's completely modular, just like we've talked about setting up your own kit. Uh, in this pack, you still have all those same options. It's just you get to pick where the pockets go. If you want your rangefinder on the side, if you want it on front, if you want a pistol on the bottom or on the front pockets, if you want them there, you don't want them there. Forward opening lid, new streamlined Gen L harness with the brand new pro tethers. Uh, you know, just ultra comfortable, and you can customize the kit just like you're talking whitetail woods to to the. Uh, western hunt you can actually take the pockets on and off to where you can be as streamlined as you want or have as accessorize it to the to the gills and you have everything right there attached and and you know make changes on the fly now listen i i do want to say this and, and i know zach knows my heart when i say this when you start looking into bino harnesses there are so many on the market now and so many of them make a good harness um so Alaska Guide Creations is not the only one. Um, there are tons, but there's also a ton of things um, that set bino harnesses apart from from others. So, Zach, if somebody's looking at a bino harness, and this doesn't have to be Alaskan specific, but if somebody's looking for a bino harness, what should they look for in a harness? I, I mean, the way we do it is we start anytime a customer reaches out and they're like, hey, I'm looking for a bino pack, help me out. First thing you do, you know, the main compartment, the size is going to be based on your binos. So figure out the size of your binos and then figure out which packs actually fit your binos. That's, you know, step one. Then it's 
looking back at yourself and say, okay, well, what do I want to carry or what, what's important to me to have right at my fingertips and how do I want it accessible? Do I want a, a closed off pocket? Do I want a mesh pocket with an open top where it's easy in and out? I'm not worried about it getting wet, anything like that. Um, and then from there, you know, there's, again, I, I can speak to our products way better than anyone else's and I'm not about to talk down on anyone's products. But we, we have so many options that you can find what's going to fit your needs really well. And especially now with the new Ravis, you know, whether you want forward opening or rearward opening with a hook and bungee closure, or if you want the forward opening with magnet closure, you know, it's, it's all, it's all so much personal preference. And once you, you, if, if you start with what you like to carry, you can almost work from that to what vinyl pack is going to be best for you. You know, if, if you want to carry just your binos, perfect. Go with the Ravis or the Kiss, just the binos. No extra pockets other than the flat pocket on back that takes up no space and some mesh sides. If you want to carry the kitchen sink and snacks and everything else, then, you know, you may want to move up to, to accessorizing that pack out to having, having all the compartments you could ever put something in. And, and that's really, the again, to start, you start with the optics, you start with that size, and then go from there. Um, typically, I would say an Eastern hunter doesn't really have to fight the size size game as much, but when you get to the Western guys that are using 15 by 56s or 18 by 56s, you know, a lot of binos packs out there don't go that big to, to still give you full, full enclosure to keep your binos, you know, dust-free and water-free if you do, you know, run into those elements. Yeah, um, I can think of people in my life who are completely different than me. You know, I've got buddies who have who have every compartment they can on their bino harness, and they never carry a backpack anymore. Um, to my wife, who who runs a simple little, um, I actually think it's uh, an Alps Outdoors uh, bino harness, and all she has is her binos in it, and it's light, it's simple, it's easy. Um, you know, to my dad, who who never takes his binos out of his truck so he runs a super protective bino harness i mean he runs um well, he runs the classic but um you know he wants something that he can throw in his truck and and he knows they're not going to get scratched up they're not going to get beat up uh they're protected and uh and so i'm somewhere right in the middle you know i want a couple a couple pockets that way everything i need is right there um without having to dig in my pack every time i want something um and maybe even downsize my pack a little bit for the tree stand, but I still carry a pack. So, so I don't need everything on my chest. So it's just different strokes for different folks. And you've got to figure out, like Zach said, what you want in a, in a harness. Um, give me your best tips to, and I know we talked about this not too long ago because again, I can, I can go back to that, to, to that first out West hunt. And I remember my bino harness was kind of just floppy and, and hanging on and, and uncomfortable, really. And at that time, I was carrying bigger bigger binoculars, and I was running the Classic. And uh, it just didn't fit real well. And then I had a guy come, uh, the guy from SNS, Rob, uh, he came by, and he just said, dude, we got to suck this thing up. And he, he adjusted some things, and I'm like, wow, that feels so much better. That fits a whole lot better. Um, so run me through some tips and tricks for fitting a, a bino harness. Yeah, so... So it's kind of interesting, like, it, again, my engineering background, like your, your bino harness is going to rotate because there's only weight on the front, right? So there's always force on the front that's pulling down on the front straps to come over your shoulders. 
And everyone wants to just suck those up as high as they can right off the bat, which that's fine. Like if you get it to the level you want on your chest, like I, I like to run the top of my pack right about the bottom of my sternum nipple line. Um, but if you did that and you didn't have the side strap snug, it's going to rotate forward until something puts tension in the opposing direction. And typically that would end up being the back of the harness on your neck. And it's going to cause tension in your, in the tops of your shoulders, you know, through your traps, like you're doing shrugs all day, like you said. So once you get that adjust adjustment made, you want those side straps like to be snug. I, they don't have to be so tight that it's sucking the air out of you, but you want it snug because at that point, when you engage the side straps and they have the, the vertical component to their tension, that's what's going to keep that harness from sliding downward for, on you, even though, you know, right off the bat, when you look at it, that doesn't make sense. But when you really break it down, just the way the forces are pulling on that harness and the only thing to resist it are those four straps, you need a secondary piece that'll be giving you some upward tension on the side of that vinyl pack. And once they catch and have tension, you're good. So once you adjust it where you want with your hand and the top straps, you can even let the top down if you want it run lower, but you need the side strap snug to keep it from wanting to rotate the harness up your back. And you gave me a tip on um, what to wear when fitting a harness. And you said, put on the heaviest thing you're going to wear. Um, so for me right now, that's the Divergent Series from Scentlock. So I threw that on. And that's when you fit your pack. You fit it at the heaviest, and then you cut all of your extra straps off, um, leaving about an inch. That way when you do, you know, if you are hunting early season, you're just wearing a, a thin T-shirt, um, you don't have seven feet of strap hitting you in the face or, or dangling down by your side or you, know, you have to keep throwing up over your shoulder or whatever else. Um, so if you put on your heaviest piece of gear that you're ever going to wear with your bino harnesses, get it fit with that on there. Then you can trim all your extra straps off and you know, I'm never going to, I'm always going to have enough strap, but I'm never going to have way too much strap. Yeah, for sure. And, and our new Gen L harness on the shoulders, the, the harm, the extra webbing actually slides up into the, the straps and is completely contained. But I still do the same thing because on the side straps, you have your, your keeper, but we all know those keepers move as you walk, as you shift, those things move. And we, we have to build the harnesses to fit the widest array of people we can, you know, and it, it's, it's really difficult that way. It'd be, it would be a nightmare to say, Hey, we, this is the small harness and this, is, you know, fits this chest size. You'd be like size and dress shirts, you know, but you give, you give all the extra to where, you know, a, a bigger frame person can wear that and still have enough adjustability to get it on and off and not fight it. But then you put, you know, my niece who is you know, 85 pounds soaking wet, you know, middle school girl, she can still adjust it to be comfortable. And then we trim up the sides, just singe the edges. So you don't have any fraying. And, and then like you said, you put your biggest clothes on that you're ever going to wear and make the adjustment there. And then it's even when you're wearing a lot of layers, you're only talking about an inch of, of change on, on each strap. You know, that's four inches on, you know, when you combine all those, all those adjustments. Um, four inches of clothes is a lot of clothes, but you're not going to have, you know, like you said, a, a six inch piece hanging down. And then when the wind whips, it's up hitting you in the chin. Yeah, you're absolutely, um, because <laughs> I've seen, and you said it, I mean, you've seen way more than I have, but I've seen people post pictures and they have like 
a fishnet around them of straps. And I'm like, man, trim that up, you know? <laughs> oh yeah. And it, and it goes for any bino harness, you know, it's not, it's not just Alaska guide specific. It, and honestly, a lot of your gear, like I would not recommend doing it on your backpack. If you're going to be, you know, strapped, you never know how big of load you're going to be strapped into your backpack, but any gear like that, if you can trim those edges up and just clean it up, you're going to be more comfortable and, and less cluttered. I guess cluttered is probably the best word for it. Unclutter the bino harness. That's the best tip. <laughs> um, speaking of tips, what is a, you know, Fred Bear is big on his field notes. So what's one tip or trick you've learned um, out west, maybe, maybe mule deer specific? What's one tip or trick? Uh, that you've learned that I can take and put in my back pocket and make myself a better sportsman with? Uh, so for me, and it's, it's something I've learned in time and I'm sure you, you learned it a lot quicker than I did hunting a tree stand. Um, but say you hike into a Canyon or a basin or whatever, and you're glassing and you're, you know, it took you an hour or two hours or three hours, whatever it took you to get there and you're glassing and it's prime time and you're just not seeing much. You're like, ah, oh. then, you know, that, that part of us comes out like the, we have that fear like, oh, what what's over the next ridge? What's over the next ridge? And what I've learned is if, I, if I'm in a good area and I'm there at good time, I am better off sitting and watching and glassing and continuing glass the whole time and working, maybe moving, you know, a little bit side to side, just change my angle. But once you're in a good area, stay there. Because if you spend more time proactively hunting, essentially with your eyes, instead of traveling to the next spot you're going to look at, you're just going to see more. You know, it, I can't tell you how many times I've thought, oh, I better go to this next spot. And then you start moving and then someone stayed behind and they, they're like, oh man, like 10 minutes after you left, like this deer stood up or it, and it just, if you're holding still and watching, you're going to catch them and catch movement and pick them out way, way more often than if I spend another hour getting to the next basin and by then, you know, maybe they were in that basement, they went and bedded or they, they went over the ridge or slipped into a pocket of pines. If I just get to good area and spend the time there and have that patience, even if it's three hours of seeing nothing, you don't need three hours of seeing deer. You need, you know, a minute to make it all worthwhile. Don't leave deer to find deer. Yeah. And, and even if you're not seeing deer, but you know, like they don't, they don't work the same as us. Like, it uh and it's frustrating and it's really hard to do it's way easier to say it and to tell you guys to do it than it is to you know i'm sitting here not seeing deer for an hour and i'm just gonna stay here but if you know it's good country and you know deer like that area just plant roots, plant roots and and hang out yeah it's very difficult um you know for the longest time i was a tree stand mover and what I mean by that is I see a buck and it goes somewhere else. And I'm like, crap. So before I hunt the next sit, I got to move my tree stand. Well, then the buck goes <laughs> back to where I was. I'm like, crap, got to move my tree stand. Um, just know, like I'm in a good area, hang tight. He'll come by. You don't have to move your tree stand every time. You don't have to. Now, on the flip side of that, don't be afraid to move your tree stand either. Like, don't be afraid to make moves. Um, because there has been times where I'm like, man, I am seeing buck after buck after buck go down that finger when I thought he would come down this draw or whatever. And, uh, and then I move my tree stand and I'm in the money. So don't be afraid to be fluid. 
like even if it's the middle of the rut and you're thinking, oh, if I go in there and make noise, if I go in there and move a tree stand, oh, I'm going to bust it out. Uh, don't be afraid to be fluid. But on Zach's point, there comes a time where you have to realize, like, I'm in a good spot. Just hang tight. Be still. Be quiet. They will come. Um, and if they continue to use that other draw, then we move. If we continue uh, to see and locate deer in other places, then we move. But for now, let's just hang tight. Let's let's keep calm, and they'll come. Oh yeah, and it and it sounds like a catch twenty two, and like it sounds like well, you're saying both things. Like, what, how can it be right? But you'll get a feel for it, and 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 we'll make mistakes, and that's part of it. Like if every single time we went out hunting, we were successful in harvesting or killing or whatever that that's really not why it's fun it's fun because it is a challenge and it's a game to a point and it i don't know it it's why we all love it like if if every single time you went out you thumped the next biggest deer you've ever killed like it would get old in a hurry my dad i remember one time being frustrated in the middle of season and my dad said well how fun would hunting be if you killed something every time you went out and i'm like well, it sounds pretty stinking fun, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and my dad being the guy that he is kind of slowed me down. He said, really, that'd be fun, huh? So, so you're telling me September 15th, when it opens, you only get one buck here in Kansas. When it opens, you go out and shoot your buck. You're done for the rest of the year. How fun is that? And I'm like, well, yeah, what, but, and he's like, exactly. You know, um, we hunt because we enjoy the hunt. We enjoy the pursuit not because we enjoy the kill. Now, obviously we enjoy the kill, um, but we hunt because it's a chess match. Like it, it, it pushes us, it teaches us, it, it, it drives us further than we thought we could go. And it, we learn, and, and the more time spent in the woods, the more you learn. And, uh, you know, I was talking with Chuck Adams, um, the other day on a topic and, and he said, we, we got to the point where, uh, he was talking about starting with a rifle and he said, it was just over too quick. Like I wanted to spend more time in the woods. So I went to a bow that way. When I see a deer at a hundred yards, the hunt has just begun. Um, and that really brought in, brought it into perspective. You know, we, as bow hunters, we take that next challenge because we enjoy more time in the woods. We enjoy hunting more. We enjoy the pursuit. Sure. We could pick up a rifle and shoot them at 150, 250, 350 yards. But with a rifle, with a rifle, it's just over a bit too quick. And, and when you pick up a bow, you're really taking that next step and that next challenge in, you know, I just enjoy my time in the woods. And so whether it takes me a month or two months, at least I'm out in the woods hunting. Oh, for sure. And, and I think I read an article one time about the, the evolution of, of a hunter, you know, and I think we all go through it at different paces, but when we first get to hunt it's our first legal hunt, you know, with going out with dad or whoever you, you started hunting with, man, if you, if it's got horns, it's on. And then pretty soon that you, just like you're saying with Chuck Adams, that it, it's too easy. It happens too quickly. We want to, you know, what's the next thing? Like, Oh, let's, let's hunt a mature deer. Let's target a specific deer. And, and then you, you get to a point where, yeah, we all love to kill the deer. We love the meat. We love the trophy, the stories, all that, but more and more. And I, and I don't want to sound like, you know, the old guy saying, get off my grass, but like, if I killed great, that's the icing on top, but I don't, I would rather go out the entire season and enjoy my time out there with the people I care about. Or even if I'm alone, like just enjoying the peace and quiet and the challenge and the, the challenges that hunting brings you that 
you can't replicate anywhere else and the excitement you can't replicate anywhere else and then come home with nothing. But I enjoyed every second of it. Then going out and just, well, I have a deer tag. I'm going to shoot the first deer I see and being done with it. Like that, that just for me, and, and it's different for every single person, but for me, that's what matters the most. Like, yeah, I want to come home with a big deer and be able to put them on the wall and, and, you know, have those memories that I can glance up at that deer and they all come rushing back. But at the end of the day, that's not what's most important to me. And I don't, and I really think to most people, it's not like if when, when you're 90 years old, laying on your deathbed, you're not going to say, ah, you know, that deer I killed back in 52, you know, you're going to be like, man, we spent a lot of good time with good people that I care about. And that's, that's the things you're going to remember. My favorite trophy to this day was a doe. Um, I shot that deer. Um, oh, it was a while back, you know, it was probably, um, I think I was shooting the bear motive, which was probably like 2014. If I'm wrong, sorry. Uh, you bear guys that, that, know every bow made from back to the 60s i'm sorry somewhere in that time frame and it was somewhere with that bow but 2014 i was on my grandparents place there in arkansas and i shot a doe um it was thanksgiving night i shot a doe and i remember you know my grandfather's gone now and uh and i remember driving up to the house my grandfather coming out my grandmother coming out and like looking at the deer I just harvested off of their property. And that moment means more to me than any buck I've ever shot than any, you know, bear I've ever shot than any hog I've ever shot or, or any, any quote unquote trophy that, that somebody would classify as a trophy. That moment meant more to me in hunting than anything else. Oh yeah. And, and I like to hear that from people like, I don't know. And, and maybe it makes us the oddballs or the, the, the guys that are on a different path than, than the rest of the world. But it, to me, it just, those are the things like I look, you know, my dad's not nearly as mobile as he used to be. We don't get to hunt the way we used to hunt, but when I get to spend time with him and hang out and, you know, there's a part of you that's like, man, I'd really like to go hike that Canyon, but you know, we're going to sit on this point and glass and just more or less, bs and no the chances of us killing one is not good i'm good with it because there's going to come a day when i can't do that with him and i'm not going to regret doing that that day and you know I, i've killed a lot of stuff all alone and they're not even close to the top of the list as far as my favorite my favorite animals my favorite hunts anything even they're even though they're some of the biggest my wife will never be the first person i call when i shoot a deer um, it's always my dad, always my dad. And here's why I, uh, shot a deer earlier this year in Missouri with my recurve. Um, first year of the recurve, I was super proud. I called my dad and he's all fired up and he's like, I'll FaceTime you. I'm like, dad, dude, I'm not even out of the blind yet. I'm chill out. And he's like, well, when you get, when you walk up, FaceTime me, I need to say, man, I want to see it. Like FaceTime me. He's like, how far was the shot? Did it get a pass through? Did you hear a crash? I mean, all this stuff. I call my wife and she says, that mean you get to come home now? And I'm like, <laughs> you serious um so it's always my dad and uh and for those very reasons not only because of his excitement level but who knows how many more memories we get like that who knows and that's why arkansas hunting in arkansas is one of my favorite memories every year it's like my favorite my one of the trips i look forward to every year and people are like you're leaving kansas to go hunt arkansas and i'm like doesn't matter with my dad like 
you know, I, I might shoot a deer that weighs a hundred pounds, but I could care less. Like it's with my dad, you know? Oh yeah, for sure. I'm with you a hundred percent. Well guys, um, Zach, I appreciate you coming on, man. I appreciate you making me sentimental about my father. Um, <laughs> I appreciate, uh, I appreciate your, your thought process on that. You know, um, maybe somebody will listen to this who thinks that, that hunters are, are, are just out there as, as bloodthirsty animals looking to kill anything in sight. And that's absolutely not the case. So, um, and if more hunters would, would cast that vision and share those thoughts, uh, it might change a lot of people's minds. So I appreciate your mindset and your, uh, your openness to that, to that, um, way of hunting. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I appreciate you having me and it's glad to know I'm not the only one that, that feels that way and thinks that way. It, uh, it, it's all, it's all part of it and it's all what makes it special and why we're all basically consumed by it all year long. Basically. <laughs> The, the, the word basically <laughs> was, was in quotation. <laughs> yeah. Um, you don't want to admit you're addicted to something. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's the first part of the healing process. Right? <laughs> uh, before we go, I do need to give a quick thank you to our friends over at Season Report. Uh, Season Report is an online platform. Uh, you can go to seasonreport.com. It's one of the easiest ways, one of the best ways you'll ever spend 10 bucks. Um I've spent 10 bucks on a whole lot of stupid stuff. Uh, but Season Report is a platform in which you can save the counties uh, that you hunt in, and it's all on one platform. You can look at state regulations, bag limits. You can look at season dates. Uh, you can look at when dates overlap. So for me, the biggest is is going county to county or, or state to state and not knowing is rifle season open. Do I need to be wearing orange? Uh, I can clip click that open and it's all saved right there. I don't have to go to different state agency websites and get through that clunky mess. I can open a uh, season report and see all of the dates, all of the bag limits, all the rules and regulations right there on one platform. Go to seasonreport.com. You can test it out for free. You can use code bear one Oh one to make that just 10 bucks a year. Um, best 10 bucks I've ever spent. I can tell you that. Uh, so go check out season report. Zach, thank you so much for coming on, man. I appreciate your time. Uh, guys, thank you for listening. Good luck this fall. Uh, I've gotten a couple of success photos sent in to me. Um, so if you are successful this fall, make sure and send those in to me. You can send them to me uh, on my email, thehunting101podcast at gmail.com. You can also send them to me over on Instagram at average underscore sportsman. I love seeing those. I love hearing your success stories, and I like to celebrate in those with you. So make sure and send those over to me. Zach, thank you so much for coming on. Guys, good luck this fall, and have a great season.